extraordinary, beyond what ordinary, usual, or commonplace and exception or remarkable is. Would you like that to be said about you in your life? For the people that you work with, maybe, or live with, or go to school with, they would like to look at, for, for them to look at you and say, now, that person is living an extraordinary life. Well, perhaps better yet at your celebration, your service during your eulogy, the speaker says, this person has left a lasting legacy by living an extraordinary life. I told Pastor Jeff to write that down because if I leave this earth, I want him to say that at my celebration service. So you guys hold him to it. In 1989, Hollywood released the Dead Poets Society. It's about a poetry teacher in an Eastern all-boys school. Robin Williams plays the teacher, John Keating, and he tries to inspire his boys to live extraordinary lives and to start young because time is fleeting. It escapes us before we know it. It's like we talked about last last week about redeeming or rescuing our time. In this clip, uh, the teacher teaches Robert Herrick's poem, To the Virgins... To make much of time, gather you robes, buds, while ye may. Old time is still a-flying. And this same flower that smiles today, tomorrow will be a-dying. The glorious lamp of heaven, the sun, the higher he's a-getting, the sooner will his race be run and nearer he's to setting. That age is best, which is the first, when youth and blood are warmer. But being spent, the worse and worst, time still succeed the former then be not coy, but use your time, and while you may go marry, for having lost but once your prime, you may forever tarry. So he asked the students to face the trophy case at the school and to gaze into the eyes of those who'd gone before them. And the teacher says, those boys are now fertilizing daffodils. But if you listen real close, you can hear them whisper their legacy to you. Carpe diem, seize the day. Let's watch. Mr. Pitts. It's a rather unfortunate name. Mr. Pitts. Where are you? Mr. Pitts, will you open your hymnal, page 542? Read the first stanza of the poem you find there. To the virgins to make much of time? Yes. That's the one. Somewhat appropriate, isn't it? (laughs) Gather ye rosebuds while ye may. Old time is still a-flying, and this same flower that smiles today, tomorrow will be dying. Thank you, Mr. Pitts. Gather ye rosebuds while ye may. The Latin term for that sentiment is carpe diem. Now, who knows what that means? Carpe diem. That sees the day. Very good, Mr. Meeks. Meeks. Another unusual name. Seize the day. Gather ye rosebuds while ye may. Why does the writer use these lines? Because he's in a hurry. No. Thank you for playing anyway. Because we are food for worms, lads. Because believe it or not, each and every one of us in this room is one day going to stop breathing, turn cold, and die. I'd like you to step forward over here. Peruse some of the faces from the past. You've walked past them many times. I don't think you've really looked at them. They're not that different from you, are they? Same haircuts. 
full of hormones, just like you. Invincible, just like you feel. The world is their oyster. They believe they're destined for great things, just like many of you. Their eyes are full of hope, just like you. Did they wait until it was too late to make from their lives even one iota of what they were capable? Because you see, gentlemen, these boys are now fertilizing daffodils. If you listen real close, you can hear them whisper their legacy to you. Go on, lean in. Listen. You hear it? Seize the day, boys. Live lives that are extraordinary. It's quite motivating, isn't it, that thought? Don't you think that it's inspiring and it quickens our hearts and to take charge of each day and wake up and jump up out of that bed in great excitement with anticipation to seize the day, to make a difference, to change the world, to change ourselves. It's why in the heat of great moments of inspiration, we make promises that we cannot and we have no intention to keep them. But in that moment, they're real and they kind of grab us. It's, it's like well-meaning New Year's resolutions, Pastor Jeff said. They fade away quickly. One of the big ones is exercise. Hey, I'm going to exercise three times a week. And you might do that for a week or two. Then it gets down to one once a week and then you say, oh, what's the point? I've got a pretty wife. I don't really care if I look like a pig or not. Some people have that, you know, so. Or the promises and the vows that we make to God himself during a spirit-filled worship service. And soon as we leave the building, they're put aside and they're forgotten. I can't tell you how many times that in my early days of a believer, uh, I was at the altar pretty much every week. There was a path in the carpet to where I sat to the altar. And boy, I was up there making promises to God that, man, Lord, I'm going to do better this week. I'm, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And you, you get up with that glow and you go back to your seat and you sing that last hymn and you get out in the car and it's not as hot as it was. And then when you get home and you start watching the Colts get beat and uh, leaves you. But boy, in that moment... The promises that we make, if, if we would keep them. Are you reading me? I'm talking to myself as well. It happens to all of us. Instead, I, I desperately want to seize the day. It's my intention every morning, but you know what happens to most of us? Most of the time, instead of seizing the day, the day seizes us. Grabs us by those old lapels and drags us up and looks us right in the eye and says, you're not in charge, really. I, I am. We're faced with life, aren't we? With school, some of you. With work, with family, even church. 
And it seems like that you try to make your list smaller, but it grows more and more with more responsibilities. And those of you that have children realize that full well. It makes seizing the day more difficult because there's all these pressures. And the best laid plans that we make get derailed. There's financial problems, health problems, relationship problems, and death for some. I doubt if the, that poor family of, of uh, Ray Lockhart's is jumping up every morning after they lost their husband and their dad and saying, we're going to seize the day. Nope, the day seizes us. It causes a lot of us great stress. What's more, our eyes are open to the plight of a broader world. You realize there are over 100,000 fellow believers being persecuted daily in Southeast Asia and Africa and the Middle East just for believing in Jesus. There are malnourished children all over the world, even in the USA, even in Indiana, even in Sullivan, Indiana. And we don't see this, many of us. I know uh, a few years ago, uh, Kurt got a program together, and we went up and ate with some of the elementary students. And there was a little girl there that was ravenous. She was hungry because she didn't eat at home. She'd finish her lunch and anybody else's that didn't finish their plate, she said, hey, can I have that? So it's here. I think we need to be more aware of that. It's here. It's in Terre Haute. I'm sure it's at Linton. I think it's everywhere. But we who are fed way too much sometimes, we don't, we don't see that plight. Certainly those affected by tragedies such as the tsunami that devastated Indonesia or the hurricane that destroyed the western peninsula of Haiti, this very place that we speak of this morning. And praise God that you guys were, were generous enough to send some money down there to feed them. But these people affected by tragedies were limited to their ability and seized the day, at least by Keating standards. So we turn to the Scripture for answers. And we soon realize that God's word never instructs us to seize the day. You won't find that there. God comes from a whole different perspective than man. In fact, the Bible gives us example after example of those whose lives were seized by the day. Consider Stephen, who was stoned for preaching the good news of Jesus. Consider Paul and Silas, who were arrested, beaten, and thrown into prison. And consider Jesus, God in the flesh, God with skin on, was seized by the Roman guards and tortured to death. Even Jesus Christ himself in that time period did not seize the day. The scripture gives us few examples of those who had an opportunity to gather rosebuds. Life is too tumultuous, too unpredictable. There are times when our lives will be disrupted. For some, it may be unexpected work obligations or family illness. Or for some, that seizing, by, seizing may be much more ominous. Omnibus. Perhaps this is why James writes in his epistle, James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. Sometimes, I don't know if it happens to you, but when I read Scripture, these words, they jump off the page. They scream at you. Look here, you people who say today or tomorrow we're going to a certain town and we'll stay there a year. We will do business there and make a profit. How do you know what will happen tomorrow? For your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, and poof, it's gone. King James Version says, What is your life? It's a vapor that appeareth for a short time and then vanisheth away. It's gone. 
What you ought to say is if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you will be boasting about your own plans, and all such boasting is evil. Remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not to do it. Wow. There's verses that we need to stick <laughs> somewhere where we can see them. That would make a good tattoo, wouldn't it? Put that on your arm. Look at it every day, every moment, every morning, every time you scratch, every time you take a bath. Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. Verse 15 gives us three essential facts of how to live an extraordinary life. I want you to try to grasp these this morning, beloved, right here, right now, and, and vow to never forget them. Number one, God is in control it is, if it's the Lord's will, verse 15 says. Two, life is a daily gift. We will live. And the third one, all our going and doing must be carried out with the first two points in mind. God is control if it's the Lord's will. Life is a daily gift. We will live. We can all live extraordinary lives if we've involved God in everything, in our lives, every aspect, every facet. And regardless of how the day seizes us, regardless of what comes our way, we are to trust and obey and seek God's will in our lives. We cannot leave God out of our daily plans for today or even for the future. You ever leave God out of your plans? Here's some common ways that we talk about the future and make our plans while leaving God out. When we describe retirement in selfish terms as our time to enjoy the fruits of our labors, well, I'm there, getting close to that age. Well, I am the age, I suppose. So we think, the boomers, and there's many of us, man, I worked hard all my life. I've got up every morning and I went to work and put in my time and on and on and on. So now, now my time has come <laughs> to kick back and take it easy. I want to get what I deserve. You know what I deserve? I deserve death. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And I'm speaking for myself as I think about my age and where I'm at and, and some of you. You've got more time resources now than you've ever had in your life. Why not invest that in the kingdom of God? That is the point. I'm all for retirement. But don't retire from God in his kingdom. That's the point. I, 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 I. That's what happened to Satan. He, he got bigger and brighter ideas. I, I will ascend the mountain of the Lord. I will kick God off the throne. I will take his place. I will do this. I will do that. A lot of times we get in trouble when we use that word. I, I, I. It should be God, God, God. We leave God out when we see work and careers as ways we can make money in order to buy what we want. It's the whole consumer mentality. We leave God out when we define money as a symbol of independence. Look how much I have. We leave God out when we imagine ourselves in control in the major areas of our life under the rationalization that God is not interested in such mundane matters. God is interested in every facet of your life, regardless of what it is. When we make practical decisions about education, job changes, moving investments, and spending all without prayer, all without involving God at all. The fact is, I think a lot of times we don't, we, we don't remember, we don't understand. The fact is God has a prior claim on our lives. First, because he is your creator, his purpose can demand precedence over your priorities. Let me say that again. 
His purposes can demand precedence over your priorities. Second, for believers, this claim is reinforced by the knowledge that we no longer belong to ourselves. 1 Corinthians 6, 6, 19 and 20 says, You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Jesus gave his life for you. You don't belong to you anymore. The old nature tries to fool us on that. New nature goes the other way. God's claim on us is both as creator and savior. Our submission to God must be expressed in every area of our lives. And that means every area, 100%. But what about God's will and our plans? It's good to have goals. But goals can disappoint us if we leave God out of them. There's no point in making plans as though God does not exist because the future is in his hands. You don't get to decide. You don't get to decide when God stops your heart. You don't get to decide your manner of death and how you exit this earth. It's not on you. It's on him. He has that in your hand. Your beating heart is in his hands. So that's the, that's the whole point of, of having faith and trusting him. The beginning of good planning is to ask, what would I like to be doing 10 years from now, one year from now, tomorrow? And how will I react if God steps in and rearranges my plans? Will I do what he asks? Will I go where he asks? Because God's notorious for rearranging plans. And you know why? Because he sees what's best for you. And at that point in time, you don't have a clue what's best for you. But he does. And he will not let you go down a path where you'll be hurt. A lot of times when we end up getting hurt, it's because we have created it. We can plan ahead, but we must hold on to our plans loosely. If we put God's desires at the center of our planning, he will never disappoint us. If James was alive today... He might agree with Keating's assessment that we will someday be daffodil fertilizer. However, I think he takes exception to the directive to make one's life ex- extraordinary. Instead, he'd remind us that our plans are often disrupted and seized, if you will, by the will of God. Never in my wildest dreams when I was in high school would I ever thought that I'd be doing this ever. It was the farthest thing from my mind because I didn't even know Christ. If you would have told me that, I'd have called you a lunatic. And then I would have jumped in my Mustang, drove a half, drunk a half a case of beer, and then went and drove and left ruts in your yard. That's the kind of kid I was. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says this, my thoughts are completely different from yours, says the Lord, and my ways are beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Likewise, Paul does not argue for this kind of carpe diem living. Instead, he instructs us how to make the most of our time. How? In his letter to the Ephesians, Paul writes this in 10 and 11 and 15 and 17, chapter 5. Be imitators of God as beloved children. Try to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. He continues, therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. That's an understatement, isn't it? 
in our world. We like to try to live above it. And we can shield ourselves and build walls, not recognize it. But it's there. And if you watch the news, it seems like the majority of the news is in that corner. Redeem the time. Make the most of your time. Paul could have asked us to make our lives into something extraordinary. Instead, he instructed us to do something much more humble and self-serving, to bring Christ's light into the dark corners of our world and to take every opportunity to speak the truth. Reflecting Christ in a dark world is the most important thing that any of us will ever do. It rises far above anything else. But God has called you. He has put his Holy Spirit within you. You are the mirror. And wherever you go, can you imagine all the places that we all inhabit during a week's time, whether it's school or home or work, shopping, whatever? Can you imagine the impact and the influence that we all have together? You ever think about that? God has you this tiny light that can become a bright LED light if you allow it. He takes you into the places where you are, and you reflect Christ into that dark place. Consider the 21 Coptic Christians who died martyrs' deaths at the hands of ISIS last February. Did they seize the day, or did the day seize them? And when their best plans were disrupted, when their lives were on the line, they exposed the evil of religious terrorism to the light of Christ by giving their very lives. Can you imagine that? And when they kneel down and them guys behind them and them black hoods got them knives, they know what they're going to do. Into thy hands I commit my spirit. That's what they did. This is the kind of living that Paul had in mind. Living that takes much faith to live it right. I don't pull any punches on that. Being a follower of Christ today in this world is the most difficult thing you'll do if you do it right. Because we fight the world, the flesh, and the devil. It's a constant temptation. It's around us all the time. Your old nature cries out against you. Man, I like mud. I want to be a pig. I like sin. I want to have an affair. I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to cheat. I want to commit fraud because I want to be wealthy. These things go through the minds of believers every day. Don't kid yourself. It's like Dallas Willard said in the spirit of the disciplines, we are all capable of great evil. Do not ever let your guard down on that. At 66 years of age and traveling countless miles and being alive on this earth for 24,223 days, I now realizing that seizing the day is difficult for most and impossible for some. So when the day seizes me as it does, when I'm presented with unforeseen difficulties, I'll pray for the wisdom to make the most of the day and shine the light of Jesus into the darkness. And if that requires sacrificing the appearance of an extraordinary life, I hope Jesus will meet me in the moment and say, well done, good and faithful servant. I, I want to hear that whisper every day. But I'm honest with you this morning, I don't. There are days when Eddie does what he wants to do. And there are days that Eddie doesn't do what God wants him to do. And at night when I lay my head on the pillow, I'm 
made aware of that. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Man, you, you messed up today. Well, come here. Let me love on you. I, I love that word picture, that mind picture of me being a little kid. And after I've messed up, which I've done a lot, Jesus says, come here, Eddie. He gets me up on his lap, and I'm sitting there on his knee, and he's hugging me. And he says, hey, you kind of messed up. I said, yeah, no, Lord. Well, I forgive you. Try to do better. These things that you're working on in your life, if you allow me, I'll, I'll help you do better. And then he kisses me on the head and puts me down and go back into life. You're not alone. That's, that's my favorite picture of God. And I think that's when I fail. That, that's, that's what bothers me the most is I've failed him. But I pray that we all hear that regularly. Well done, good and faithful servant. I pray the same for you, my brothers and sisters, this morning. Remember what's most important is that God believes that you and I are living extraordinary lives for him, through him. And how do you do that? By believing and living these three essential facts from chapter James 4. Chapter 4 of James, God is in control if it is the Lord's will. If I get sick, God is in control. If I would lose my job, God is in control. Heaven forbid if I'd lose somebody that's close to me, God is in control. It's, it's something that we need to continue to live and believe regardless of what happens. God's will it's like Isaiah said, it's so far above us, we don't have a clue. We can't grasp it, even get close with these finite minds. And life is a daily gift. When I climb out of bed in the morning, God said, here you go. Here's this day for you. Live it for me. We will live, chapter 4, verse 15. And all our going and doing must be carried out with the first two points in mind. I pray every day for the future crossroads, every day. I pray that God works through us, and we in the leadership are open to God and so in tune with his spirit that we will go and do whatever he asks us to do. And looking 10 years down the road, God will lead somebody to take our places. We're not going to be here forever. We can't live forever. We don't, not on this earth. In heaven we can. But it, it's, a, it, it's almost become a burden to me to pray for the future of Crossroads. So would you do that with me? You pray. This is, God has created something spectacular here. It's way beyond anything that I could have put together, or any of us actually. But he has created something special here, and you all are a part of that. Let us pray together for the future as he leads us into this new year. Lord, we love you and give you praise and glory for who you are. And Father, may we always know that. May we always say it. May we always believe it. You are in control. Regardless of what happens, we place our lives into your hands and we trust you. Now, granted, it might not come out like we planned it, but that really doesn't matter. What matters is it comes out in our lives as you plan it because you have what's best for us. You choose the best paths for each one of us as your children, and we thank you for that. So right now, fathers, 
we bring this service to a close as we think about these final thoughts and this final music, dedicating this precious baby. May we have you in mind. And Holy Spirit, as you speak to our hearts, whatever it is you've said to us today, may we pay heed to it. May we obey it. May we live it. For we ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen.